I talk about my stepdad's work ethic a lot. I tell you what, that man is probably the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. He would give me these huge projects, you know, which as a kid you think are really big. So, for example, he'd say, "Hey, you're going to do the entire irrigation system for the yard." I'm like. 10, 11 years old. I'm like, okay. So he's like, here's a pick and shovel, and he would just spray paint everything. He's like, here's here's the holes I need you to dig, and I need I need them to be so so deep and so wide. And he's like, go. And as a kid, you know, I'm looking at all this spray paint all over this huge yard, and I'm like, never gonna finish. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you on this fine new day. And we are super excited to launch the first part of a two-part episode with our man, Carlos Mendez, former Navy SEAL and now trainer with Echelon Front. It is going to be a blast of a conversation. We're going to be talking with him about the idea of being default aggressive and a lot more on that idea later on. But for now, we're going to break down some of these concepts ourselves before we get started, and we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. Stop thinking about it. Stop dreaming about it. Stop researching every aspect of it. Start doing it. Take that first step and make it happen. Get after it. An aggressive mindset should be the default setting of any leader, default aggressive. John Gretton, a.k.a. Jocko Willink. Oh, for a second there, I thought we had Jocko on the podcast. That was crazy. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's what you <laughs> Most excellent. I, I love it. I Dude, love I wish it. I had his voice, you know? Or I could like <laughs> you wish you had his body, too. But his hey. body wouldn't be bad. You know? <laughs> his, his, uh, yeah, his fighting ability, his, uh, his leadership skills, yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. All we got that. is some books and a podcast. And, <laughs> and about 37 unanswered emails to have yeah, him on 37. the show. <laughs> you kidding me? It's been, it's been 52 a year for two years, once a week. <laughs> Well, we do have Carlos Mendez, which is actually, he is part of Echelon Front, which is Jocko's training arm. And uh, we're super excited to have him on, even if he's not Jocko. We're looking forward to a great conversation with him. Yeah, uh, Los, as he goes by in uh, the Jocko episode I heard by him, is, uh, and he's, he's, he's like Jocko, he came from, I guess, in terms of like the hierarchy in the military, literal bottom, and worked his way up to the upper echelon, if you will, of, of, uh, leadership, the front of the echelon <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, has so many great lessons that he learned and stories to tell. I heard him on Jocko Willing's podcast and, uh, instantly became a fan because he's got this, uh, he's got this like monotone, um, very casual, very humble, like spirit and sound to him that makes you really really think he's not the guy that i mean you know he is like he, he trained under jocko himself and is now a leadership trainer for jocko's echelon front group but he's so he's so calm and collective and and humble that it, it's almost hard to believe he is who he is and like he you know could probably be one of the most dangerous men walking <laughs> the face of the earth, you know, and, and you would never know it by listening to him talk. Certainly about himself, it's crazy, but he's—I'm pretty sure he's a brown belt in jujitsu outside of being, a, you know, a trained Navy SEAL sniper, and you know everything else he does, and you would almost never know it to talk to him. But from the things that I've heard. Personally, like him on certain podcasts that I listened to that um, just blew me away with his life experience. <clears throat> it's not just his life experience, you know, because like a lot of people come from like a crappy circumstance. Um, 
and I grew up with a lot of people from crappy circumstances. But man, most people don't make it anywhere. Like most people are are consumed by that crappy childhood and just perpetuate that on for the next generation. Where Los is one of those guys who broke that, man. He he broke that, you know, generational curse or whatever you'd want to call it, where he he figured out a new way. He didn't he didn't become what he hated about his childhood for the next generation. And, you know, he's got a son, and he talks about him, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit today. Yeah, he certainly is a humble guy. And he's not just an expert in terms of, you know, physical fitness and all the things that go along with that, but he's actually a pretty smart guy, too. He did a stint with the investment banking industry, and this guy has an MBA. He is top-of-his-class type guy in, in every aspect of his physical and mental abilities. Oh, yeah, and my wife just went on about how good-looking he is. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's freaking good-looking, too. Like, what, what else? Like, can come he, on. Can he fly? Like, what else can he do? No, it's going to be great, and we're going to be talking about an idea uh, called Default Aggressive, which comes out of some of the books that Jocko has written, specifically The Dichotomy of Leadership, and it's this whole idea about being ready to go. Not, was, that, was that from Dichotomy of Leadership? Well, that was from Extreme extreme Ownership. Maybe both. Probably both. It's a it's general philosophy that Echelon Front is is you know backing and is, is delivering yeah. in the training. I read both books, but I read Extreme Ownership twice and then Dichotomy of Leadership and then Extreme <laughs> Ownership again. You know, that's just like the flagship book for, for uh, Jocko's team. Right, but the concept here is like, not that you're default aggressive, like, hey, let's go, let's go shoot some stuff and, you know, ask questions later, that whole concept of uh, ready, fire, aim. Um, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being ready to go at all times, being ready to make decisions, being ready to lead, being ready to overcome obstacles, being ready to, to jump the hurdles, to troubleshoot, to think outside of the box, to come up with new ideas and, and new resolutions, to deal with whatever fires are going on right now in your business, in your truck, in front of the client, whoever it is, default aggressive. The opposite of that is, by nature, default passive, right? And, and here's where the trick is because passivity is like our coast gear, it's, it's easy for us to be passive. It's easy for us to just sit back, relax, let the world go by us, let other people handle the problems, and frankly, let other people get ahead of us. Not in a way that we're trying to hold them back, but in a way that they are taking opportunities that are afforded to us as well, and they're making something of them, and we're not. When we're in that default passive mode, when we're in the let's let everything else just happen and we'll see where the cards lay mode, that's like the worst version of us because we are letting life tell us who we're going to be. We're letting all the outside forces tell us who we're going to be. We are not prepared to engage into battle. And let this podcast serve as a flag in the ground for you to change yourself out of that default passive mindset. It is time to have answers for the questions being posed to you. It is time to open the doors of opportunity that is knocking. It is time to make something more of yourself than you are currently allowing yourself to be in a, in a, a, a pathetic sort of lazy, I guess I'm just satisfied with this is who I'm going to be way. It's time to be something different, to be something better. And that's the idea behind default aggressive. Probably the wrong time and place for this, but I'm going to go off on a tangent about something else uh, while I have the opportunity, which is a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were laying on the couch watching something together, and I fell asleep. And she, I don't know, if woke me up or said something when I woke up, but she said, you genuinely scared me just now with how long you held your breath while you were sleeping and then <gasps> gasped for air and it didn't wake me up i think she woke me up to tell me but i had a sleep survey or whatever they call it done a, a few years ago i want to say like three years ago and I don't, I don't remember what the criteria was to to have sleep apnea or to have a CPAP, but I want to say it was like 15 times in an hour or more, I stopped breathing for a minimum of 10 seconds. And uh, Dr. Roll, our uh, doctor here, asked her if the life insurance policy was current. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> well, 
he uh he said you know you, you need to do something with this like i'm not you know i'm, I'm heavy but i'm not like fat I'm, I'm overweight you would call it but mostly muscle mostly you know a little, little something here and there but mostly muscle um and i'm i'm pretty active i work out almost every day uh but here i am with this sleep apnea and my you know he said certain things that stuck like he told me I was getting averaging an hour and 40 minutes of real sleep per night. He also said that my, I don't remember what the numbers were. My blood pressure was skyrocketing every time I had these episodes and my heart rate was like going through the roof and I didn't even know it. Like I'm just asleep, but I did know that I woke up super groggy, really hard to get out of bed. Um, after lunch, I'd typically be falling asleep. Um, if I didn't lift, my mind was very foggy that day. If I didn't catch a morning workout, mine was just really foggy. Um, Nate's actually falling asleep while we have this conversation, as it were. Um, and, and, you know, put the health risks to the side. But, like, I, I had heard that it, it was, you know, my grandfather, my mom's dad, passed away I think he was like 64 I might be off on that and I was told recently that he died from his third heart attack I believe all three were while he was asleep and uh very likely we know we think now it was very likely that it was one of these he stopped breathing caught his breath in his sleep heart couldn't take it that time and never woke up so it you know it occurred to me that as she said that and my heart was still racing although I would have never known but any one of those could have been the last time I took a breath you know and I'm 43 and I have four kids and you know I want to see some grandkids and I have a lot of you know life left to live and hopefully a lot of things to give back to the trade community and it just occurred to me I have a CPAP I have one of these machines that I hook to my face and you know all it does is like it gives you a little bit of extra push on the inhale of your breath than you would than you normally have so like mine when I lay down particularly on my back but also on my sides it it, everything just kind of closes up a little bit in there so I snore loudly and then occasionally it'll just close off where I don't breathe and I'll need to like gasp and push it in as someone who has shared a hotel room with you from time to time, I can yep, concur. Yep. Nate has shared a hotel bed with me from time to time. <laughs> Sorry, room. Oh, my bad, bro. I mean to give give it up. <laughs> so according to the Mayo Clinic, symptoms of sleep apnea, loud snoring, episodes in which you stop breathing during sleep, which would be reported by another person, gasping for air during sleep, awakening with a dry mouth, morning headache, Difficulty staying in staying asleep, excessive daytime sleepiness, difficulty paying attention while awake, and irritability. So yes, I had all these. I had all these like recently because I stopped using my CPAP. Now I'm a nose breather, thankfully, so I can use the little nose attachment, and it just pushes a little air into my nose as I take as I inhale, and just opens everything up. And it makes it very easy to breathe. It sucks to wear this thing. But if you snore, if you have these symptoms, look, we're not a medical podcast. And Nate and I barely know how to tie our shoes. So don't listen to us for medical advice. Thanks, buddy. Nate's got slip-ons on, by the way. He still still barely knows how to get them on. (laughs) We're not doctors by any stretch of the imagination. But go see your doctor. If any of those things sound familiar, get off the freaking caffeine, especially the three, four monster energy drinks a day and go check this out because the, just the personal, you know, the, my, my own personal experience is since I started using it again, I'm like all, I'm the opposite of all those things again. And I forgot. Now I also know that if I go on keto by the end of week two, I feel those things as well, but I believe it's probably because of the slimming down of my neck that, uh, I have less of that issue, but I snored when I was very young and very scrawny, and I think the CPAP is the way to go. I think there's probably some surgery you can get done too and some different 
things you can do with like mouthpieces that depend on what type of snoring you do. Again, go see your doctor, go see a doctor, say you just want to get checked out for this. <clears throat> they give you this little thing where they put a thing on your index finger and a couple pads on your chest and maybe something on your nose. I don't it was like three years ago. And then a machine that's hooked up to you for a few nights and it registers all these things all night. And you'll take it back to your doctor and the doctor will tell you, here's what you got going on. Maybe bring you in to stay overnight at a facility and really check you out, but probably not. So get it checked out and you could, you could find out that you're getting like a couple hours of sleep a night and, and nobody can function off that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a five to six hour guy, but it, they have to be five to six hours of like quality sleep. And when I was at an hour 40, well, I'll just tell you, here are some, here are the, the complications caused by sleep apnea. And, and what sleep apnea does is makes you not get decent sleep throughout the night. Daytime fatigue. Now, you know, in, in your life, what daytime fatigue can do to you. If you're a technician in a truck, you know the feeling, because I certainly do, of those eyes going halfway closed on that freeway and how bad it freaks you out when you realize you could have just fallen asleep. Um, I've never fallen asleep at the wheel, but I have had those episodes, and it is terrifying. And people get killed by people falling asleep at the wheel every year. So we can't afford that. I don't care what you're doing. You can't afford that. Number two, high blood pressure, heart problems, okay? Stroke, heart attack, on and on and on. High blood pressure, sudden death, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, complications with medicine and surgery, liver problem, uh, sleep-deprived partners. <laughs> uh, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Burton knows a little bit about that one from loud snoring. Fatigue, heart problems, and obesity. So you can actually have issues where you can't lose weight because you're not getting enough sleep. Also, for the folks who work out, you, you can't build significant muscle when you're not getting good sleep because that guess when muscle Finally, is Finally, an excuse. Yeah, Nate, the obesity and the lack of building <laughs> muscle, right, buddy? <laughs> we'll get you a CPAP, you're going to look like Los soon. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. So I don't want to get off on any more of a tangent than I already have. And it feels like the worst episode to do this, but it's been such a game changer for me here for the last little bit. And I've talked to so many people here at our shop um, who deal with these symptoms and not, can't really figure out where it comes from that. I'm, I just felt like, I don't know, go talk to your doctor, go have a conversation with your doctor and just be like, look, I want to get checked out for sleep apnea. And man, you could find out you're getting like three hours of sleep a night. And you can, you know, with this machine, they're not cheap, like six, 700 bucks. Hopefully your insurance covers it. But if it doesn't, just shut up and get one, six, 700 bucks. Like you're going to burn that on monster energy drinks, like in the next two weeks. So knock it off and just get one if you need it. But you could go from like three hours of sleep to six, seven, eight hours of sleep a night. And you have no idea what a big deal this is for your life. Uh, one of the other symptoms of, is, is anxiety, depression of a lack of sleep. Like if you have significant anxiety or even mild anxiety or depression, there is at least a potential that a CPAP or something like it could help you with that. So I don't know. It felt to me like having this little conversation could be the, the best thing that one listener of this show hears and it could make a huge difference in their lives. So yeah, if you uh, have any of those symptoms, go get checked out. Get a little sleep study done. The sleep study is like next to free. You just borrow some equipment for a few nights and then give it back. It doesn't really cost that much, but I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And if you do and it works out for you, shoot us a message. Let us know it worked. Thank well, you. I'm glad you're uh, you're seeing some results there, Brian. And, and really what that's doing is it's it's allowing you to wake up feeling fresh. And to some degree, I mean, that's what we're talking about here in terms of wake up, right? knock yourself out of this sleep, whether it's metaphorical or, or, you know, actual and like, go make something of today, waste no day, literally, and do it, do it in the way that you know best in the traits. And we're about to jump into the interview. But of course, before we do, it's time for that fantastic opportunity to read a review of the week. Applicable 
to anyone in any field. Five stars. I am a carpenter by trade and find enjoyment and challenge through this podcast. I love hearing the success stories and I'm fueled by them to keep chasing my dreams. The podcasts specifically about communication and soft skills have helped me the most. It's not always easy to relate every episode to my personal work life since I'm a builder carpenter, but I have pulled nuggets out of those episodes to apply to my life as a father and husband. And even though I'm not a selling tech, there has been a value learning about it and has made me much more aware of the words I use and how I use them with clients. Great podcast. Keep it up, man. Wood Butcher 32. <laughs> Wood Butcher. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> Shout out to you, Wood Butcher. Appreciate the review and the uh, compliments. Yep. Appreciate the love. And if you, uh, if you feel so inclined to, uh, hey, if you got something out of it, whatever field you're in, and you want us write, write ugh, you want to write us a review, we'd appreciate it. Uh, if you're not on Apple Podcasts and can't write us a review, click the five star on Spotify. If you're not on Spotify and want to hit us with a review, write a Facebook post talking about how this podcast helped you and tag one of us in it, and we would really appreciate it because that's how we grow. Well, we're hoping that this episode will help you grow, and it's time now to put Carlos Mendez in your passenger seat. Our guest today is Carlos Mendez. He is a former Navy SEAL who started his naval career as a medic with the Marines, where he completed two deployments. Upon his completion of BUDS, he was assigned to SEAL Team 1, where he served as the medic, primary sniper, and point man, and completed deployments to Southeast Asia, Iraq, Central America, and Afghanistan. Carlos then served under Jocko as the leader instructor in charge of teaching close quarter combat for all the West Coast SEAL teams. During his time there, Carlos was chosen for the prestigious Seaman to Admiral program, through which the SEAL teams cut the member away to complete their undergrad degree and come back as an officer. Former recipients of this award include Jocko Willink and Johnny Kim. After completing his undergrad degree in finance at the University of San Diego, Carlos came back to complete two more deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan as the assistant officer in charge and the officer in charge at both SEAL Team 3 and Special Reconnaissance Team 1. Carlos finished his naval career as the executive officer for SEAL Training Command, and after separating from the service and before joining Echelon Front, Carlos completed his MBA from the Anderson School of Management at UCLA and worked as an investment banker. Welcome to the show, Carlos. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, we feel very, very fortunate to have you on your, your career, uh, your service to this country and what you guys continue to do at Echelon Front. We're massive fans on and uh, we can't thank you enough for giving us some of your time today. No, I appreciate the support. And um, it was, what's crazy is when I got your email, I saw your your sign off line. I'm like, oh, I've worked with them before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a small world. Servicemans or servicemans, service minds for uh, my man uh, Brandon Lahoda and Dave Connolly. Yeah, yeah, I did a workshop for you guys. I think it was down in Florida, but uh, yeah, small world. Yep, that's great, uh, and and happy to again have you on the show here. So, Carlos, uh, we're our podcast here is dedicated to the home services professionals of the trades, specifically around electrical, plumbing, and HVAC. And we're honored to have you on here because it is a uh, it's a tough time in the industry right now. You know, there's a lot of trepidation in the market when it comes to you know the economy and <clears throat> the recession and things like that. Uh, this particular winter has been not favorable in terms of creating a lot of demand for quite a bit of the country. Um, and you know, we also have a lot of uh, turbulence happening in the HVAC market as. At the beginning of the year, a lot of regulations took place and there's a lot of changeovers and everything. So there's a lot of chaos and stress going on. And so we want to jump into some of that today. But before we do, we always like to have a little bit of an understanding about our guest and who they are and where they're coming from. So if you'd be kind enough to, I know you're a big fan of Reader's Digest, at least in your childhood. <laughs> if, if you'd be kind enough to give us the Reader's Digest version of who Carlos Mendez is. Oh, and before, yeah. before we do, what, what do you want us to call you? We've heard Carlos, we've heard Los, we've heard Oscar De La Hoya. 
<laughs> you can call me whatever you want. Uh, Los is usually what my friends call me. You can call me Los. All right, cool. He, awesome. he just said we're friends. Nate. Did you catch that? <laughs> I got it. I got Let's it. not okay. geek out, buddy. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, Los, why, why don't you give us the introduction here? Yeah, absolutely. So listen, I always, I always start off with, I had the amazing opportunity to immigrate to this country when I was, you know, four or five years old. Um, I was born in Guatemala. Um, my father passed away when my mom was pregnant with me. So it was just my mom and I growing up. And like I said, we immigrated to the United States when I was four or five. We ended up in San Francisco, California. So that's where I grew up in my childhood at first, you know, in Oakland, San Francisco area. Till my mom met my stepdad. They actually met in English school. And, um, you know, I always, I, I always think back and, and realize like, hey, I, I have no idea how those two communicated, you know, because neither of them spoke English very well. And you got to realize like how difficult the relationship is when you both speak the same language. I can't even imagine them, you know, trying to have a relationship and neither of them spoke English very well, but they made it work. Um, later on through my childhood, we moved out to Sacramento. And that's where I went to junior high and high school. Um, I didn't have the best relationship with my parents growing up. You know, my stepdad was extremely strict. Um, you know, he's from Czech, he's from Czech Republic when it used to be Czechoslovakia and it used to be under communist rule. So, you know, if you, if you know anything about Eastern European countries, especially back then, those are some hard, hard people. And, uh, he brought that over. Uh, I didn't take well to it. <laughs> you know, I was a mama's boy who was used to just growing up with his mom and I didn't take well to it. You know, I, I left home pretty early on. I think I was 16 or 17 when I left home. And, um, you know, after high school, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. Um, I started working construction, you know, Monday through Friday, I worked concrete. And then on the weekends, I would work at a pharmacy on Saturdays and Sundays. So I was working seven days a week. And then right around that time, you know, I, I saw the movie Navy Seals. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Charlie Sheen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a classic. Um, and I, I remember watching that movie. And then I remembered this article that I had read when I was a kid in Reader's Digest about BUDS, which is the selection process, you know, to get through, to go through to go to SEAL teams. So I remember that. And I remember one of my teachers who was in the Navy, he would always talk about SEALs like, you know, with such admiration. And I didn't quite know what he was talking about or what that article was talking about. When, when I watched that movie, I'm like, oh, those are the guys. <laughs> those are the guys I read about. Those are the guys that Mr. Pryor, that was my teacher, was always talking about. And so I started doing research on it. I went to the library to make sure that this was an actual profession and make sure that this was something that I could actually, you know, apply for. And it wasn't some secret society that you had like an invitation to or something. And when I realized that all you had to do is join the Navy and everybody can try out, you know, I, I dropped what I was doing and I joined the Navy with a corpsman contract, which is a medic in the, in the Navy for those of you who don't know. And I joined the Navy in 1999. Um, you know, and, and back then they had this rule where if you wanted to be a medic in the SEAL teams, you actually had to go be a medic with the Marines first. Now, I didn't know this, but Marines don't have their own medics. They actually borrow them from the Navy, right? So after boot camp, instead of trying to become a SEAL, the, the Navy sent me to this really awesome school to learn all about the Marine Corps. And um, that did about close to three years with the Marines before I finally got my package accepted to go to, to BUDS. Uh, and then I went to BUDS in 2002 and made it through the training, ended up at SEAL Team 1 as one of my first teams. And, it was an amazing experience. You know, I got to deploy to, you know, Central America, Southeast Asia, and of course, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. Got to be an instructor. And I got picked up for a program where they pick one person a year to go get your college degree. You know, they cut you away from the teams completely. They give you three years to finish your undergrad degree. So I finished in about two and a half years, came back to the teams as an officer, did a few more deployments, and then ended my career as the executive officer for the training detachment for the entire West Coast. Um, went to business school and then decided to become an investment banker. <laughs> so I became an investment banker at a bulge bracket bank where I worked on mergers and acquisitions and leverage buyouts. And it was uh, a little over a year into it um, that Jocko and JP from actual on front reached out and they were like, Hey, we've got this client, you know, 60% of their employees only speak Spanish. 
and we told them that we could deliver. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, do any of you guys speak Spanish? And they're like, no, that's why we're calling you. We know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And listen, at the time, I was working like 90 to 100. If you know what investment banking is, you know, it's a grind. Yeah, I was working like easily 90 to 100 hour weeks. And so I was like, dude, there's absolutely no way I can come help you guys out. What, what, but, do, those, you know, what do those work weeks look like for those of us who uh, just, you know, ran in plumbing trucks most of our career? Um, you're, well, you're sitting in front of a computer <laughs> for massive amounts of time, but I would typically start, uh, it just depended. I mean, we did a lot of deals with people from London and Australia and other parts of the world. So it, it just depended. Sometimes I'd have to wake up at five in the morning. Sometimes I could start at 9 a.m. But what the constant was, the constant was you, you would be working till around midnight or so easily. That was like an early night. Um, most nights would be two, three in the morning. And then there were definitely nights where you would just pull an all nighter, right? Your presentation is due at 6am because 6am is 9am in New York. I was in LA at the time. And so you're literally working on this presentation till 5.59am. Wow. You're turning it in, you're presenting, you know, you present from like six to seven thirty or so, and then you just roll right into the next day. I mean, there were a couple of times, there were a few times actually where, you know, my wife would get out of bed and she'd come to the office and she's like, you haven't come to bed in a couple of days. I'm like, yeah, I know. But you were, Uh-oh. is this something you learned in the teams or like, where, where did you get this grind or was this already in you where you could do that? Because we have people who are staying till the job gets done, you know, no matter what, like these people don't have power or water or, you know, AC in the, the dead of summer. And then we have people who are just like, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm checking out. I've put in a, you know, nine and a half hour day. Like, is that you or is that, was that drilled into you? You know, I'm going to say that that was drilled into me as a kid. Um, you know, I talk about my stepdad's work ethic a lot. I'll tell you what, that man is probably the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. And I watched it firsthand. So even though as a kid, him and I didn't get along you know, and, um, I didn't like him obviously as a kid, I did observe his work ethic and that man would work two, three jobs. I mean, he, he just always said, you, you, you need to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Right. So he's like, if I have to work three jobs to provide for my family, then that's what I'll do. And that's what he did. Like, I mean, that man would work all day long in his regular job. He'd come home like at 5 PM, take a quick nap, eat some dinner, and then go back out to deliver pizzas all night long till two in the morning get up and do it again. And the weekend, he would deliver pizzas all day, Saturday and Sunday. I mean, the guy was a machine. And so I watched that growing up. And then, you know, all the chores and everything that he gave me, he instilled that work ethic in me. And then the teams, being in the SEAL teams and in the military, just further reinforced it, right? Because you got some long days that you're putting in the SEAL teams. The difference now, though, is I felt like putting a long day in the team's was hard when I was out and about doing things with my hands, which I, I think is my personality. But now I'm sitting in front of a computer, which to me is actually more challenging, you know, because you're just staring at a screen for, you know, 18 hours a day or whatever. But I, I feel like I've always had that mentality, that grind, like, hey, I'll do whatever it takes to to succeed. And at the time, I was very scared of my transition, you know, because I had seen a lot of guys get out of the Navy and kind of struggle and not know what they wanted to do. So for me, I'm like, Hey, I landed a phenomenal job, like my first time around. And I'm like, I'm not going to mess this up. I'm going to do whatever it takes to succeed here. And, you know, I'd put in all nighters before in the field teams before. So it wasn't like a new thing to me. Um, so I feel like I've had that grind instilled in me when I was a kid and I, I, I 100% give the credit to my stepdad. And that is like the farming, the, the tenant to the animals and that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I had, I had tons of chores growing up. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty common that I got home from school. I did homework. Uh, we'd have dinner. I'd wash the dishes, you know, I'd clean off all the counters. So basically they take everything off the counters, wipe down the counters, sweep, mop. I mean, I'd clean the bathrooms and then we had a yard at the time, like you mentioned, um, where we had tons of fruits and vegetables. We were raising rabbits you know, to have our own meat. And so I was, I was pretty busy as a kid as well. And I did a, a ton of chores back then. And he would give me these huge projects, you know, which as a kid, 
you think are really big. So, for example, he'd say, hey, you're going to do the entire irrigation system for the yard. You know, and I'm like 10, 11 years old. And I'm like, okay. So he's like, here's a pick and shovel. And he would just spray paint everything. He's like, here's, here's the holes I need you to dig. And I need, I need them to be so, so deep and so wide. And he's like, go. And as a kid, you know, I'm looking at all this spray paint all over this huge yard. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never going to finish. You know, or he would say, hey, you're going to paint the house. And I remember every time he would give me one of these chores, <laughs> I would wait till he left, of course, you know. <laughs> but, dude, once he left, I would throw such a fit. I would start chucking these tools across the yard and just basically <laughs> be at the point of tears oh, and be Lord. like, I'm never going to freaking finish. I'm never going to finish. And, you know, he, he wouldn't let me back in the house unless I started working. So. I, that's kind of why I adopted the mentality of, okay, well, I guess I'll just start somewhere. Right. And I adopted that mentality of, Hey, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. <laughs> so I would just start painting, you know, a little portion of the house and I'd be like, Oh, that was done. Okay, cool. Or I would start digging like a portion of the yard. Like, Oh, that's finished. Okay, cool. And then I would just keep going and keep going, keep going. And once I finished that project, I remember as a kid, like looking back at all these holes and all these projects that I did saying, whoa, I can't believe I did that. And every time he gave me something else like that, my confidence would build and I would throw less and less of a, a tantrum. And by the way, when I sat through a tantrum, I did not let him see this. Okay, just believe me, I'll tell you, it would have been a really bad day if he actually saw that part of me. But um, every time I finished, I'm like, oh, wow, that was cool. I finished that. And my confidence grew, my resilience grew. And by the time I was 18, I was a very resilient and, and confident young man, you know, because of all these things that my parents had me do when I was, when I was young. And I remember looking at buds, for example, you know, right? You're looking at five and a half days, you know, with two, two and a half hours of sleep. And my first question was, has anybody else done it? And the answer was yes. So I was like, okay, cool. And I can do it too. Because that's the kind of confidence that my parents had instilled in me from giving me all these chores, all these different projects to do. And that's just the human mind, right? The human mind naturally, when you see something hard, you say that the mind naturally says, I can't do that. That's too hard. But if you're able to push through that barrier, right, you're conditioning your brain to know what it's like to taste victory on the other side. And eventually, if you keep pushing through that barrier, you keep conditioning your brain. When something hard comes across you, you're just like, oh, yeah, I felt this before. It was hard, but I, well, I figured it out on the other end. So I'm just going to start small. You know, I'm going to eat this elephant one bite at a time. That's such an amazing lesson to learn at 11 or 12. And that's an amazing lesson to learn at, you know, 43 at my age now, if you haven't learned it yet. But I, you know, I'm a, I'm a father. You're a father. Nate's a father. A lot of people listening are fathers. You, I want to instill that in my son and my daughters, like, you know, I can't tell you how, how badly, but I always feel that line. You know, I didn't have a dad growing up. I didn't have uh, a dad in my life until my stepdad when I was 16 or 17. Um, so my default is probably overly nurturing and not enough discipline. Like I just want to love on the kids, you know, which, which I didn't get any of from, from a man growing up. And I get pushed for my wife to be more, of a disciplinarian sometimes I am, but I imagine at that level, at, at the level you experienced it, it had to put some strain on the relationship with your parents. Oh, it, it put a big time strain on it, you know? And, and when I tell this story, I tell people, Hey, I don't recommend you raising your kids that way. Um, because it was a lot like thinking back now and now I have my son, I'm like, man, I had a lot of chores. I had a lot going on as a kid. And you know what? I'm super grateful for it now because it really made me who I was. But it definitely strained the relationship that I had with my parents. You know, I left home at 16, 17 years old. I think I, think I was probably 16. Um, I left and I, I didn't talk to my parents for years. I'm talking like I joined the Navy. I did my first deployment and they didn't even know I was in the Navy. Um, wow. And it wasn't until years later where we reconciled. And so I try to strike that balance with my son. You know, and it's a fine balance. Like I'm trying to push him. I'm trying to get him to get out of his limits. But I'm also a lot more encouraging than my parents. You know, both of my parents, they grew up, you know, in very humble beginnings. Like I said, my dad grew up in Eastern Europe in a communist country. My mom grew up in, in very poor countries, you know, Guatemala. So they were both very hard. 
And so there wasn't a lot of encouragement. It was mostly like, hey, you did this, you got straight A's, good. That's what you were supposed to do. And you're like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? There was never any like positive reinforcement. As a matter of fact, I don't remember my parents really ever saying like, hey, I'm proud of you. And so everything was like a negative connotation in terms of like, hey, you got to do these chores. And if you don't, here are the consequences. You know what I mean? And I feel like with my son, I do take the time to show him that I'm proud of him, that I care, that I love him. But I also do give him little stuff here and there to push him a little out of his limit. You know, am I telling him to paint the whole house? No, I'm not. But I am giving him projects where he feels a little tiny bit overwhelmed. And I'm like, like hey, you roll, got this. roll up the cord to the uh, video game remote when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> it's a softer generation, Los. Let's face it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but it's all about finding that balance. You know, you could still challenge your kids and still be very caring and loving with them and, and not strain that relationship. And, and by the way, I, I preempt it, right? I know uh, I was listening to your guys' episode with Chris Voss the other day. So I do that. I do that with my son. I tell him right away. I'm like, hey, listen, son, there's going to be times where you don't like me. Okay. But I promise you, I promise you that when you become a grown man, you and I will be friends. But right now, we're probably not going to be friends. Mm. (laughs) Right. I'm calling out the elephant in the room. I'm just telling him straight up. You're not going to like some of the things that I do. You're not going to like me at times because you're a teenager. But I promise you, I tell him all the time, I promise you that when you're a grown man, you and I will be really good friends. And you won't have this massive hump to, to overcome like you and your stepdad did, for sure. Correct. And you know what's crazy now is that my stepdad and I, we're like, we have a phenomenal relationship now. Um, is this, is, is this uh, like, like you appreciate who he was and what he had to do and, and he appreciates who you are now and what kind of what you went through? Or is it just... You're no longer look, you know. You're no longer looking up to him. He's no longer looking down to you, and you can can see eye to eye. Or how how did that rec- how did that get reconciled so well? Um, honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I honestly think that it was him actually having respect for what I did because when we reconnected, you know, he's like, "Oh, so you know, you know, what are you up to?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm a Navy SEAL." And I could tell from the look on his face. Listen, I knew, I knew that man for years. I could tell that he didn't believe me. Because I don't know if you know, but there's a ton of people out there who say, oh, I'm a Navy SEAL, and, and they're not. So he didn't believe me for a while. That told me to knock that he, off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no stolen valor here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you might not want to do it in San Diego, which is crazy, because this is the place where I see it the most. Really? But Yeah, it's nuts. Were there a lot of actual Navy SEALs, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've gone to the bar a few times and there's this guy, you know, or we'll see this girl. She's like, oh, my boyfriend's a Navy SEAL, you know. We're like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah. And then we'll go over there and meet him. And then he, he, you know, he could probably tell right away. And (laughs) yeah, exactly. So we'll be like, hey, man, we'll let this go. Just buy us a drink. (laughs) That's a a bold move in San Diego. It is. I'm telling you, but it happens a lot more than you think. I could see doing it in like Dearborn, Michigan or something where you're not going to run into an actual CEO. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think once he realized that I actually was, I could tell that he had a deep respect for, for what I had accomplished. And I think that when I had my own son, I started really deeply appreciating who he was when I was growing up. I mean, yeah, think about it. You know, he, he immigrated to his country when he was 18 years old with a, with a backpack. That's all he owned and some clothes in it. Didn't speak a lick of English, didn't know a soul. Um, you know, he married my mom fairly young, you know, so he had to raise a kid that wasn't his. He didn't know how to raise a kid. I mean, just, I, I, I appreciated all the hardship that he actually came across being an immigrant in this country, having no skill no education, not knowing anybody, and then the grind that he was just more than willing to do to provide for the family. Mm. And it was then that I realized, like, holy crap, all these things that he did, that's what made me who I am. I mean, when I went to boot camp, you know, as a young man, I thought it was cake. And I watched these other kids, they're like crying and wanting to go home. And I'm just looking over at them like, man, that's crazy. You don't mean mean buds, you mean like Navy boot camp. Yeah, just boot camp. Yeah, just boot camp. Regular boot camp. I'm talking, there were grown men, grown men in their 20s 
crying, asking to go home, wanting to quit. And I'm just like, this is nuts, right? Because just the mental toughness that he had raised me with, it was just like, hey, you do what you got to do and you don't whine about it, you do it. And, you know, that's what I was doing. And uh, Is there, is there, it's, it's tough for me. Like, is there, is there a chance that some of those fellows who were pretty soft in the beginning, and I know this was the Navy, not the SEALs, but is there a chance that some of them develop from that kind of teary eyed, I need mom, I want to get home uh, guy to joining, you know, going through buds and making it through hell week? Or is that already canceled just by them being that soft in the beginning? No, they definitely, no, that was definitely, you know, on the other end. I mean, you got to think about it. It was, it was a, I have this one gentleman in my head that I think about because, and the reason I, I think about this one guy who was in boot camp with me is because this guy was like, he was enormous, man. I mean, he was already one of the older guys in boot camp. I think he was, and when I say older guys, I'm talking like 22, 23, right? Because most of us are like 18. Um, and he was just jacked. I mean, he was this enormous human being. And I just remember him being in tears, begging the chief to go home. Wow. And the chief like dressed him down. I mean, dressed him down. and was like, no, you're going to stay here. You made this commitment and you're going to finish. And on the, on the other end, you know, when we graduated boot camp, you could see that he was a totally different person. Like, you know, he had that sense of accomplishment and you could tell that even though at the time he, he wasn't digging it you could tell that he was glad that that chief made him see it through. So I do think that that's a big growing experience for a lot of, you know, young people who, who haven't been away from home, who've maybe been coddled a little bit and that sense of accomplishment, right? Like, Ooh, look, look what I finished. I finished boot camp, you yeah, know, and that's where that confidence starts to, 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 to mount. I'll tell you why I ask because we have, you know, we're in a lot of contractor trade groups and, and like Facebook and LinkedIn and stuff. And what you get a lot of is the quote unquote, this generation, they're so soft. We, we interview oh, yeah. them and they're too soft and we don't hire them. And I'm always like, man, we have taken some softies. I'm not talking about my co-host here, <laughs> but um, we have taken some soft dudes and, and made them into, I mean, men for back of lack of a better word, like tough um, people who are able, you know, this isn't the SEAL team, but like, you know, you can be in a crawl space where you can only crawl to get through with four inches of sewage and like fishing waders and, you know, elbow gloves on. Like it, it's not for the faint of heart, these trades or, you know, an HVAC in an attic that's 140 degrees in the summer and you're going to spend three days in there. It's a, it, it can be pretty grueling and you get people in the conference room who are pretty weak and soft and excuse makers. And I'm like, you know, it's not for everybody, but there are so many times when you don't want to disqualify them for that because they've never been put to the test yet. And you could actually train through that. Yeah. Um, you know, so I run across that a lot. And, and by the way, I have a ton of respect for what you guys do and it is some hard work. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that you guys are pretty hard. Like, it's tough work sometimes, man. Not electricians. And, Sorry, guys. Sorry, Sparky. <laughs> <is what it. laughs> oh, my God. So I work with a lot of linemen, and the, the, the little back and forth between them and the inside electricians, I think it's hilarious. But <laughs> Yeah, it, keep, it, um, keeps us, it keeps us all happy. You know, we just beat up <laughs> on the electricians. They, they get even by leaving their, uh, their wire clippings everywhere. <laughs> but listen, I agree with you. I agree with you. Listen, sometimes someone just hasn't been shown the path. I'll be honest with you. Like, listen, I, you know, I told you I got picked up for that program to go to school for, you know, three years and come back as an officer. And when I came back as an officer, you know, I joined a new platoon and I remember the new guys, you know, now there was a pretty substantial age gap between myself and the new guys. And I remember being really frustrated with them and thinking like, how these guys make it through blood? These guys are soft. And, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot of frustration and I fell into that trap. I fell into the trap of being like, it's these, it's these millennials, right? They're just soft or titled. It's this generation. And I had a friend of mine tell me something, one of my mentors, people that I look up to, he's like, Hey, listen, Carlos, times are not going to change for you. They're just simply not. You have to change with the times. And if these young men, they don't know how to be sealed, they don't know how to be professional. Then guess what? It's your job to teach them. 
And so it was then when I realized like, yeah, you know what? I need to stop complaining about, you know, the guys that I have or me thinking that they're soft and just lead. I need to be a leader. I need to show them what that looks like. Um, and so it was then when I started actually putting in the time, right, to mentor these guys. And then listen, by the end of that two-year cycle, I would say that they grew a ton. And so when I talk with companies nowadays, you know, I was like, hey, listen, millennials, they're not, they're not bad. They're just, they just need to be led. They just need to be shown what leadership looks like, what a professional looks like. Because when I go and I teach these workshops, it's funny because when I go and I teach these workshops, I say, hey, you know what? You know who is the most open to accepting these principles? It's millennials. You know who I get the biggest pushback from? Middle management. That's who I get the biggest pushback from. It's the older guys that push back on it. These younger people, listen, they got open minds. And if you just show them a better way, from my experience, they're the first ones to eat it up and say, well, wow, I didn't even know that this was possible with this type of mentality, this type of mindset, this type of work ethic, this type of leadership was out there. So if you've got millennials, listen, I always say millennials just need to be led and showed how. You know, because I think, I do think as a generation, we, we did a pretty bad job in terms of, of showing them these things. So if these kids, are, they're growing up entitled and they're growing up soft, that's on us, right? As, as parents, as a generation of parents who, who didn't instill that in them. So if, if I've got a crew of guys, I can either sit there and, and whine about how soft and entitled they are, or I can take them under my wing, I can mentor them and show them what it looks like to be a true professional and what it's supposed to look like. And like you said, hey, there's guys that on the other end, they come out as, you know, they, get, they harden up. They harden up and they learn and, you know, there you go. You've got another asset to the team. Yeah, like anything in leadership and in, in teaching and instructing, if we can, if we can make it. And Nate and I were just talking about this before the episode as a result of a training we did this morning. But if we can make whatever we're teaching for their benefit, who's not, who's not open eared at that point? Like if, if this instruction is showing you how it's to benefit you short term, long term, they're all, they're all ears and eyes. It's when we make it about us, we make it about the company, make it about only the client. It's no benefit to the, to the uh, apprentice or technician. It's, that they just kind of, you know, okay, what's in it for me? Yeah. Dude, you hit, you hit the nail on the head, man. You know, um, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite books, listen, I'm big on building relationships with people and you're going to have to build a relationship with these young people. If you want to have any influence over them. One of my favorite books is how to win friends and influence people. Right. And one of the chapters talks in there that as human beings, you know, when we communicate, we always have ourselves in mind, right? So you're exactly right. Because when I teach workshops and we start doing like these role plays, you know, we do role plays as to how to have a difficult conversation with somebody. And one of the parts of that difficult conversation is explaining the impact. And a lot of people, when they start explaining the impact, they start explaining, well, hey, you know, you're really making my job difficult or you're really making it difficult for the company to keep track of the financials. Everything is like about them or the company. And so you got to think about it as a young person. You're like, so what's in it for me? Right? Because sometimes you're not thinking strategically. And for you and I, it may be obvious. Well, yeah, it does. Listen, if the company doesn't do well, I don't have a job. But they may not see it that way. They may not look at that big strategic picture, especially at that age. So when I say, hey, when, you, when I say you got to explain the impact, you got to explain the impact to that individual. Because like the book says, most human beings have the thought of what's in it for me. And if you can show them what's in it for them and what the future potentially holds for them if they do X, Y, and Z, that's when you actually start getting them to buy into it. Way more so in, in these trades we're in right now because like it or not, owners and managers out there, it is a technician's market right now. They can... They don't care if the company does well necessarily. They care if their team does well, but they can go out and get another job in minutes. Like it's no problem right now. The the skilled trade gap is so massive right now. They can go go anywhere and find work. So definitely it has to be about them. I love that. Carlos, yeah. the, the trades has a long heritage of having apprenticeships. Uh, you know, where every generation gets another generation in their passenger seat. And that's something that we practice here. And, you know, it is, it is kind of ironic that each generation passes down to the next one 
their own frustrations about that generation, right? Like, oh, you know, they got this, got this kid in my passenger seat, all while forgetting that they were once that kid in somebody else's passenger seat. What was it about your, your transition when you went off to officer school and you came back? What was it about the transition that, I mean, you said that your mentor kind of encouraged you to change with the times, but what did you have to do, you know, mental gymnastic wise to like make the shift to understand that you too were once there and somebody looked at you and said, you have no potential or like you're just an excuse maker or whatever and transition that into a, a mentality of teaching saying, I'm not going to just, you know, berate the generation below me and not believe in them, but I'm going to choose to understand and, and encourage and empower them to grow in their own way in this profession. That's a really good question. Um, as I think back, you know, I think it took a lot of me putting my ego in check, right? Because a lot of times when we do something for a certain amount of time and we become really good at it, we forget that we used to suck at it too when we first started, you know? What? Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I always, listen, I always like to say in my workshops, just remember you, you weren't always the rock star that you think you are now. Um, and so thinking back, I'm like, hey, you know what? So I had some pretty good mentors along the way, you know, um, and it's because of these relationships that I had with these people that I was able to progress and grow. And it was then that I realized, like, listen, I've got these young men, whether I want to or not. Like, what am I going to do? Get rid of them all? Fire them all? You can't do that. Um, and so my next option was, okay, well, I got to bring them up to speed then. And it just took detaching from my emotions, which is something we talk a lot about in, in our workshops at Echelon Front, detaching from your emotions. Because listen, when you're frustrated and you're angry, you're not thinking straight. As a matter of fact, as Chris Voss put it right on your guys' podcast here, you're 31% dumber <laughs> yeah, right. when you're frustrated and you're not thinking straight. So it was, t- it was me just basically detaching from our emotions and saying, okay, what are my options here? One, I can't get rid of all these guys for sure, right? So what's my next option? Okay, I can bring them up to speed. I can start mentoring them. Um, you know, and then I thought about it like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the older guys thought the same thing about me and our generation. All oh, these guys are soft, right? Um, so I, 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 it was just that mindset of like, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to do anything positive if I just sit here and, and complain about these, these, these people and, and talk crap about them. Instead, I need to just basically show them show them what it's like to be a professional SEAL, professional gunfighter, what it looks like. And that's when that shift happened for me. But it, was, it took somebody else telling me, you know, from the outside in, because at the time I was just within myself and just frustrated about the whole situation. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people who have gone through the apprenticeship program themselves and they've been in the passenger seat, turn around and then refuse to do ride-alongs and pass that on to the next generation. And it frustrates me because it demonstrates both a lack of humility and a lack of, you know, paying it forward in terms of like what somebody did for you, you're, you're turning around saying, I'm not going to do that for somebody else. And I'm like, come on, man, you know, like this is something that somebody afforded you the opportunity to learn on the job training. And now you're turning around and saying, eh, I'd rather go solo on my own. And I'm just like, that's, you're missing the point here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Hey, that's where we're going to have to interrupt part one of this podcast. Such a great kickoff to a two-parter with Carlos Mendez. I hope you enjoyed the show today. It was fantastic to hear the concepts he's been talking about already. Such an incredible childhood and the experiences that he has already endured uh, in such a short period of his life are you know, a lifetime of experiences for sure. And uh, while it may not be the experiences that we all desired or all had in our childhood, Uh, they have turned him into the man that he is today. And I think there's a lot of lessons to be gained out of that. And uh, certainly we're going to continue having that conversation with him as we step into part two. So make sure you join us next week as we continue the conversation with Carlos. We're really looking forward to that. But for now, we want to leave you with our weekly challenge, which is the same every single week to make sure that you are getting better, to make sure that you're looking in the mirror and saying, I'm not satisfied with who I am today and to wake up every single morning and choose to waste no day. 